Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the, play, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all the wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the pleasure of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joanna, for reading that scripture. Morning, everybody. How are we doing today? Yeah, pretty good. You know how I'm doing? I am too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> Anyone ever heard that? Yeah? Um, I actually like that response. You ever heard that when you're asking, hey, how you doing? Oh, well, I'm too blessed to be stressed. I really like that response, but sometimes, um, sometimes I don't <laughs> because it feels a little bit, like if I were to say it, it feels a little bit forced. Um, you know why? It's because um, I feel stress. <laughs> and I, I know I'm blessed, but sometimes I still feel uh, really stressed. And I, I forgot to introduce myself. My name's Kenny, if we haven't met yet. I'm one of the pastors here, um, and glad that you're here with us. Today, the title of our message is Hashtag Blessed. Don't forget the hashtag. <laughs> hashtag Blessed. Um, I don't know that the hashtag's that important, but it got the laugh already, so that's good. Um, so a few weeks ago, uh, my wife, Hannah, and I were flying um, back home for the holidays, and uh, we got on the plane and get ready to go, and it's supposed to have Wi-Fi set up so you can, you know, uh, watch your movies and all that stuff while you're on the plane, and the Wi-Fi didn't work, and uh, that didn't really bother me that much. I had a great book to read, and um, so I, I didn't, it, you know, like I said, it didn't bother me, but it reminded me of a comedy bit that I heard about six years ago um, from, a, from a comedian, Louis C.K. So this is before, about a year ago, when everything kind of came out about him. But like six years ago, he used to have this comedy bit, some of you guys might have heard it, called Everything's Awesome But Nobody's Happy. Anyone ever heard of that? Um, and he tells the story of he got on a plane, and this is when Wi-Fi on planes was brand new. Like it was, like we had never heard of it. We just thought that was, that would like, give us cancer if we had Wi-Fi on an airplane. I don't know. But it was brand new, and he gets on, and they announce, you know, we have Wi-Fi on today's plane. It's so exciting. And then five minutes later, the attendant comes on and says, you know what? The Wi-Fi is not working today. And the guy next to him on the plane is just like, what? I can't believe it. Just, you know, slamming his tray. And he says, dude, can you chill? Like, five seconds ago, you didn't know this existed. And now you're, like, entitled to it. And, and he goes on. I'm not going to do the whole bit. Trust me. I'm not that good. But um, he talks about... You, you ever heard that story, you know, someone says, you know, complains like, you know, we were on the, tar the tarmac for like 45 minutes. We were just waiting there, you know, and I couldn't believe it that we waited so long. And he's like, can you just be patient? You're flying across the country in five hours. That used to take six months. And half your family would die on the way. <laughs> on the Oregon Trail, you would have to like remarry and have three new kids. Like once you got there... You're about to be there in five hours. Can you just? And then he goes on to cell phones. And you know how you know how when your cell phone kind of glitches and pauses when you're in the middle of something. And you're like, ah, stupid phone. It's like, can you give it a second? It's going to space and back. Can you just give it a minute? You're gonna play Candy Crush Saga. It's gonna be okay. Or Fortnite. It's 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 gonna be all right. But um, 
there's a little bit of truth in every uh, joke, and I think that joke resonated so much with me and, and, and with us because it says something about the time and the place and the culture that we live in. In a lot of ways, everything is awesome. If you think, uh, if you think about um, the changes that have taken place just with technology and all sorts of other things in the last 200 years, we have it pretty easy. Uh, nowadays, if you're having an argument and you really are about to get angry, you don't have to just end a friendship. You can just pull out your phone and Google it and see what, was, what, was, what really happened or what didn't. Nowadays, you know, back in the day, you used to have, uh, if you were going to eat meat, that was like a rare thing. You might only have that every few months for most people, for most of history. But nowadays, we can go to In-N-Out like three times a day. Anyone else? Amen. Amen to that. I don't think I've ever done three times in a day, but back a few generations ago, I can remember my grandfather talking about growing up before toilet paper was sold in their area. (laughs) And nowadays, you got 17 types in every grocery store that you go to. You can have ultra strong. You can have ultra soft. I'm not going to go on any more types of Toilet paper, you've got running water. You've got warm running water. That's something that even now, a lot of the people on earth don't have that, and yet we take it for granted. Use it every day. We've got warm apartments. We've got cars, horseless carriages that take us around. We've got bird scooters that you don't even have to push. You can just stand, and you go places. We have the right to vote. We have the right to own property. We have public education. You don't have to go pay for it to, get, to learn how to read. You can just, I mean, I know taxes are involved in all that stuff, but we have that. We have computers that fit on our wrists that tell us more than all the computer systems for the first Apollo missions that went to space. If you have an Apple Watch. If you go on down the line, many, many, many things are better. Things are awesome. Um, but we str- are we really happy? We're told all our lives that we have the freedom to seek our own happiness as long as it doesn't harm others. We have the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of... Wow, you guys sound really happy. <laughs> you guys got to work on that. The pursuit of... All right, I got a few people with me today. But I got to ask, is our pursuit of happiness making us happy? If you look at Fortune and Forbes, our nation is on the list of richest countries. But you know where it's a lot lower on the list of? Happiest countries. All kinds of things. Uh, Depression is on the rise. Anxiety is on the rise. Suicide rates are on the rise. In many ways, everything is awesome, but nobody's happy. And we've been set free to pursue happiness, but have we realized yet that the more we run after happiness, the less we find it? The more elusive it becomes when we search for happiness on our own terms. And the Christian faith, and I think we're going to see it in this passage today, radically reverses the order of things when it comes to being happy. It changes the order. See, most religions, most world religions say something along these lines. They're set up in this way. Um, Set up in this way, here are the guidelines, here are the teachings, here is our prophet who saw, and now we follow what they said. So incorporate these things into your life, obey these teachings, do these practices, and then you will be rewarded. Then you will find happiness, then you will find God, then you will reach nirvana, then you will achieve your inner peace. And culture says something a little bit different. At least our culture says, find what makes you happy and do more of it. Anyone heard that? And that's what's going to make you happy. Or, or it's based on our circumstances. Get around people that make you happy and get in situations that improve your happiness. And if they're not adding positive energy to your life, you got to cut that negativity out. Anyone? That's what our culture says is going to help make us happy. But Christianity says, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. It's a little bit backwards. Because in the scriptures, we talk about blessings instead of happiness. And when we talk about blessingness, uh, blessedness or being blessed, what we're talking about is the reasons that Christians have already to be happy. We are 
blessed by what God has done. Look at how blessed we are by what God has done for us. And when we begin to see that in the gospel, in this good news, the only proper response is to overflow in worship and to live a a life that is defined, radically defined by blessing other people. Amen? If we're going to be happy, it's because we're aware of and reminded of and focusing on the blessings we have already received. Y'all with me? First verse of the passage that Joanna read today, Ephesians 1, 3, it establishes that pattern. And um, it set the Greek word for, uh, for blessing, the root word is uh, eulog, like eulogy. And, and, and our English translation kind of messes up because it says praise be to God, but really it's the same word as blessed. So you've got blessed three times. So it's blessed be God who has uh, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And so you've got this pattern of we worship God because of how he has blessed us. The passage that we're reading is um, uh, written by the Apostle Paul. It's a, it's a Hebrew, it's, it's kind of structured like a Hebrew form of blessing called a, a barakah. And Vince mentioned this last week. It's one sentence. So we've read 12 verses. And it's that all those 12 verses in our English Bible is one sentence in the Greek. One 202-word sentence. It is the longest sentence in the New Testament. And it's as if Paul is just bursting forth with praise for God. Praise because of what God has already done for us. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We have it already. And and, and you wouldn't be able to tell by this first passage that Paul was writing this letter from prison. But he is. So what I want to do today... Uh, for the rest of the messages, I just want to count our blessings. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah okay, we got a couple. I want to talk about uh, your blessed life now. Ah. <laughs> See what I did there? I just want to look at a few of the blessings that this passage says that we have already in Christ. We already have in Christ. And there's no way I could, there's no way I could list all of them, really. Um, Some of you guys have already noticed that the passage we read today is basically the same passage that we preached on last week. Did anyone notice that? And you're like, oh, are we going through this again? Well, I can can pretty much guarantee you that I'm not going to hit on any of the same topics that Vince hit on last week because this is such a glorious, majestic portrayal of the gospel and of what we have. And actually, Martin Lloyd-Jones, you guys, anyone ever heard of him? Um, great preacher of the 20th century. When he preached through Ephesians with his church, he preached 35 sermons on the first chapter. <laughs> um, that's more than one sermon per verse. There's only 23 verses. Um, and we're going to try to do it in three. Uh, that's not because we're better than Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's just because what we feel called to do. So it's the same passage, but we're going to cover some new things. All right? Everyone good? All right, first blessing that we have is, or that I want to highlight is adoption. Adoption, verse five and six, it says, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. I want to draw your attention to that phrase, adoption to sonship. Adoption to sonship. The Greek word that is translated into that phrase, adoption to sonship, uh, is used as a legal term, and it means full legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. It was a common Uh, a common term used in that day because adoption uh, was something that they knew of and they had set up in their court system, much like we do. And it might sound, ladies, it might sound a little weird that you're adopted to sonship, but this applies to you because the, the, the picture that God's word is giving us 
is of a relationship and of a status that we have in Christ. A relationship and a status that God has blessed us with. I have a, uh, one of my, I have several nephews and nieces, but one of my nephews is adopted and uh, my sister and her family adopted him a few years ago. And I know some of you in this church have adoption uh, stories in your family as well. And um, man, uh, my nephew, he's just a bundle of energy and we love him so much. And there's this um, picture on the wall of their home every time I go over that is moving uh, for me because it's the the picture of the day that they signed the papers and everything was finally um, uh, done. And this is the picture is when they're leaving uh, the courthouse or whatever uh, county building that was. And it's so moving because it's like, this is it. This is the moment when he became their son. And they might have felt like it earlier. They might have loved him like he was earlier. But now he's their son. And it's written in law. And no one can tell him otherwise his whole life. It's written in the county. It's written in the laws. It's written on his name. His name has changed. He's welcomed into the family, and no one can take it away from him. That's the picture of the relationship that God has blessed you with in Christ. That he chose you in love, that you weren't a part of his family, but he chose to bring you into his family. He didn't wait till you had it all together. Amen. He didn't didn't claim you reluctantly. No one forced him to adopt you. He chose to adopt you. Amen. He didn't hold his nose and say, okay, I'll bring Kenny into my family. No, he adopted He adopted us in love to be close to us so that we could be in relationship with him, so that he could be our father and we could be his children. Our culture thinks that God is distant. God is absent. God is full of rejection in his heart for us. But nothing could be further from the truth when we are in Christ. God longs to give us that picture of closeness and of love. And then secondly, it talks about our status, full legal standing. What that means is you have the right to be an heir. You have the right to an inheritance in God. You have a right to the family name. You have the right to represent your father. Just tracking? I I did some research this week. Um, on who the richest uh, kings and queens were alive on the earth right now. Um, And the richest king on earth right now is the king of Thailand. And um, he and his family, are uh, their net worth is about $30 billion. And um, I just want you to imagine for a second that tomorrow he called you and said, I want to adopt you. (laughs) And, and I don't just want to adopt you with like some kind of prenup. I want to adopt you, and, and I want to give you the full rights to my inheritance. I want to give you full legal standing as my son or my daughter. That means you're going to have all of the access to the connections that I have. You're going to have my palaces, and when I die, you're going to inherit it all. You guys don't look excited about that at all. <laughs> um. Well, I would be excited about it. <laughs> 30 billion. Maybe you missed that part earlier. 30, 30 billion, yeah? Okay, anyone thinking about your mortgage or your rent right now? 30 billion. Okay, if he said that, I would be a little bit excited at the thought of that. But here's, here's what I'm saying. In Jesus, God has already done that and far beyond that. Far beyond the blessings that you can imagine in that $30 billion, the king of heaven and earth, the king who owns all wealth, the king of the whole universe has said, I want to adopt you. I want to make you my daughter. I want to make you my son. I want you to have access to my inheritance, to my love, to my relationship. I want to give you a new name. Amen? Your true What this means for us is your true status is not all these things that we're running for and chasing after. It's not all these things that can be lost. 
It's more secure than that. It's not flimsy. It's not something you can earn, but it's something that's given to you because he adopted you. Amen? Amen. All right, next blessing. First blessing, adoption. Next blessing, redemption. Everyone say redemption. Redemption. You know, when I think of the word redemption, I think of uh, dumb and dumber. Um, (laughs) So, yes, there's this scene where uh, Lloyd really... He really does something dumb because he sells the van that they're using for a cross-country trip, but he comes back with a scooter acting like it's a good idea. And, and Harry's like, and this is why I think of redemption, but Harry's like, just when I think you couldn't possibly get any dumber, you go out and do something like this and totally redeem yourself. <laughs> I knew someone was with me on that. But here's the thing, that's how we think of redemption in our culture usually. Usually redemption is when we've done something wrong, and then we go and work hard or sacrifice or whatever, make amends for it, or do enough good things to make up for it, and we totally redeem ourselves. But that's not the kind of blessing that we've received in Christ. Uh, Verse 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. In him we have redemption. The way that that term was used uh, in the first century in Rome, the way the redemption term was used was the, uh, the price to buy back someone out of slavery. That it would be similar to ransom or buyback. It's the price to purchase someone's freedom out of slavery. Slavery was very common in that day. And if someone found themselves in debt or if they, if they, couldn't, if they couldn't pay back what they owed, they would sell themselves into slavery. And then if someone else came along and said, no, I, I want you to be free, they could pay a price for that person's freedom. It's the, same, it's the same thing that Jesus says in Mark 10, where he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's the same way that Israel understood themselves as the people of God, because God said when he put them out of Egypt, I redeemed you out of slavery in Egypt with a, a, a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. That's what Exodus says. And so when we see that redemption, what that's telling us is that we, our freedom has been purchased. That we were slaves, but Christ has made us free. You know, there's a common view of Christianity in our culture that, that is a little bit opposite of that. That Christianity is about restrictions. Christianity is about the rules. Christianity is about what you can't do anymore. Anyone ever heard that, run into that? You ever talk to someone who says, well, I would be a Christian, but I can't do this, this, or this anymore. And it's seen as primarily restriction. It's even seen as slavery on my freedom and my pursuit of happiness, which is what I define it to be. But Christians see it as this. We were slaves. We were in slavery to sin. We were in slavery to living for ourselves for our own ways. We were in slavery to the world's broken value system that just keeps recreating broken results. We were enslaved enslaved to the devil, and yet Jesus came, and what he did on the cross with his blood was he paid the penalty, the ransom price, to buy us back and redeem us out of slavery so that we could have freedom in him. Amen? Woo! I'm excited. My goodness, that's what we have when we talk about Christianity. So yes, there's rules, there's restrictions, there's things that we don't do anymore, but it's not because we're in slavery, it's because we've been set free and we've tasted freedom. And I, I want you to know something else about this verse. It says, we have redemption through his blood. This is not something that we're gonna get. This is something that we have because of his blood that was poured out for us on the cross. The price, the ransom price has already been paid. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that we can deserve. It's something that's been purchased for us. 
It's been purchased and given to us, not by our performance, but by his purchase. We have redemption through his blood. Though our sin was great, his grace is greater. The rich, verse 8, the riches of God's grace that he lavished, lavished on us. God did not use an eyedropper of grace. It's like, oh, take two drops of grace. No, he didn't say take two tablespoons of grace. Call me in the morning. No, he lavished it on us, poured it out beyond full, overflowing. Uh, Hear me, you are not richer in sin than God is in grace. There is, your sin is not stronger than the strength of God's grace. He has purchased redemption for you by his blood. We've been adopted. We've been redeemed in Christ. Next blessing is we've been given a purpose in Christ. Verse 9 and 10 is where we're focusing for this blessing. It says this, With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. To bring unity, here's, here's the purpose that is going to happen at the fulfillment of time. God's purpose to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This week I was reading about uh, a man named, uh, I actually am struggling with his name, <laughs> but it's Jacquew Palij or Yaki Palij. Um, he was the last known World War II Nazi who lived in the U.S. since 1949. Lived in New York, I think in either in Brooklyn or Queens. And he was finally deported last year, sent back to Germany. And he died this year in Germany at the age of 95. He lived in the U.S. without penalty for decades. He was an armed guard at a Polish death camp for the Holocaust. He was never charged or convicted or tried or punished for the crimes he committed in that Holocaust death camp. And I don't know about you, but there's something, there's something in us that makes our blood boil when we hear something like that. Because we long for justice. We long for justice because we're made in the image of a God who is alone perfectly just. And we're made in his image, and so we desire for justice. And so we read uh, Proverbs, like Proverbs eleven twenty one, 21, that says, Be sure of this, the wicked will not go unpunished. And then we hear stories like this, and we wonder, Will the wicked go unpunished? I don't know if you guys have noticed, but there's a lot of times there's a growing sense of hopelessness in our time. It's just in our culture at large, there's a growing sense of people feeling like things are meaningless. Thinking, what is the purpose of all this? And we have, um, you know, one of our cultural beliefs is Basically, when it comes to meaning in life, you're responsible for finding that meaning in life. Our culture says no one can tell you. You have to find out what it means, and then you have to chase after that and live in according with your own meaning. We've been affected by the enlightenment in that way. We're taught that each one of us has the right to discover and to define our own meaning and the meaning of our happiness. And it sounds really freeing initially, but it ends up being really crushing. Because we're disconnected from the purpose for which we were made. We're disconnected from the fact that history has a goal. You guys with me still? Leslie Newbegin, the uh, famous missionary and scholar, uh, was writing about this and the effect of the Enlightenment on culture. And 
uh, he says this. I think I have the quote. It says, the pursuit of happiness came to be seen as the right of all people. Happiness is, of course, a word with multiple meanings. The question, what is true happiness, can only finally be answered on the basis of the answer to another question. What is the chief end of man? That means what, what is the purpose of humans? A lot of you guys will notice that. That's the, the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism where it says, what is, the, what is the chief end of man? And the answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is what life is about. And until our lives are about that, we will not experience the fulfillment of living in alignment with our purpose that God has made us for. But this verse reminds us of something beautiful and tells us something beautiful, that we have been given a peek into the mystery of God's plan. We don't have to just guess about what might be coming up next or what God might be doing in the world. He's given us a picture of it. We've been made aware of the mystery of God's plan. God's plan. God's plan. Drake song. God's plan. <laughs> John Stott says it this way, at present there is still discord in the universe, but in the fullness of time the discord will cease, and that unity for which we long will come into being under the headship of Jesus Christ. And he says this, history is neither meaningless nor purposeless, it is moving toward a glorious goal. Here's what that means for us, your life has meaning. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. The things that you fill your days with, the things that you do this week, have significance in eternity because of Christ. And you're going to find fulfillment as you live in light of God's story and you find your place in his story. Not when you try to make a God out of your story and you try to make the true God bow down to your purposes. And when you do that, you're not going to find fulfillment. Because you're not living how your maker has made you. But God has made you for so much more. To know him, to be in close relationship with him, to share these blessings with other people. That is what we are made for. To be brought, to, to await the day when God brings everything in heaven and on earth under unity, under Christ. You see, this passage starts before the creation of the world. And it ends after the end of the world. That's the scope of this passage. And he's trying to tell us, hey, God is doing something here and we are blessed because we get to be a part of it. And when you're a Christian, you hear this, this should fill you with so much hope because in the whole universe, there will not be one stray molecule. There will not be any evil deed that goes unpunished in the end. It will either be paid for by the blood of Christ and by our trust in him, or it will be paid for with eternal punishment. But God is going to make all things new, and he's going to make all things right. And the more we live in line with the purpose that he's given us, oh my God, what good news we have. What good news we have for a world right now that is struggling to even know what it exists for because it has said no to God. We know we've been given a purpose. Philippians 2.10, that's why it says, every knee shall bow, every, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ, we're blessed with a purpose. We need this because it's, so easy for us to just focus on today. Anyone? It's so easy for us to get caught up in our uh, petty little uh, affairs and circumstances that are happening this week and forget that we are living in a history that God is in control of and that is heading toward a beautiful, glorious goal. You guys ever heard the phrase, under promise, over deliver? Yeah? A lot of people in sales have heard that. But it, just the idea of like if you're 
if you're selling something or if you're offering something, you want to kind of under-promise what it's going to do for someone, but then when they get it, you want it to over-deliver so they're really excited. Um, because uh, the reason that's a phrase is because a lot of times it happens the other way around. <laughs> you over-promise and under-deliver. It's kind of like the, the limo driver I had on our, on our wedding day. It was supposed to pick us up, and he, he showed up an hour late. <laughs> so we were kind of late to our own wedding. Um, that's an example <laughs> of... Uh, you had one job. <laughs> That's over-promising, under-delivering, right? And I'm afraid as Christians, there's sometimes where we act like God has over-promised and under-delivered. Because we're so focused on the things that, they're very real things. And don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying pain and suffering and the decisions and the stress that we have and the toils of this life. We are not living in heaven. I know that. But we act as though God hasn't even promised us anything. Or we act as though, well, where are his promises? We act as though, yeah, I know I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, but I just wish that the heavenly realms were a little bit more earthly right now because <laughs> I could use some access to some earthly blessings. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of downplaying these blessings that God has given us for the current moment. And I'll tell you from experience, the results are deadly for your spiritual health. The results are deadly. When Christians feel hopeless, it hurts my heart. When I feel hopeless, it hurts my heart. You know why? Because it's a lie. It's a lie from the devil. It's a lie from the pit of hell. We are not hopeless. We have a hope. And we need this kind of perspective that the Apostle Paul is reminding us of today. We need this broad perspective that starts before the creation of the world and ends up after the end of the world. And I need to remind you again that he's writing this from prison to encourage us. Now, he's not in a dungeon, but he's under house arrest, and he's most likely handcuffed to a Roman soldier as he's writing this. And then John Stott says this, yet though his wrist was chained and his body confined, his heart and mind inhabited eternity. God has infused our lives with meaning and purpose and significance and mission and hope and joy and called us to be a part of this beautiful story that one day we can be assured we'll come together in unity under Christ. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, to quote C.S. Lewis. So we've been adopted, we've been redeemed, we've been given a purpose. And as we look at the final point, we're, rem we're reminded that God has not just promised us pie in the sky. I want to remind you now, God is not just giving us pretty words in this passage to make us feel better. God is, has given us a guarantee. God has given us a guarantee. That's my last point. And in verses 13 and 14, It says this, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. See that in verse 14, he says that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. You guys have movies that you watch like every Christmas? Anyone? Yeah. Um, I have a few of those, and uh, one of them is a Christmas story. Um, and I find it really funny. I'm not necessarily going to recommend it, but um, anyone ever seen that one before? Yeah. I was watching it a, a few weeks ago, and there's this, um, there's this scene where Ralphie, the main character, is kind of set in the 40s or 50s, I think. And he listens to a radio program, I think, called Little Orphan Annie. 
or something like that. And he is so into this radio program and they've, that he mailed in and, and said, I want the secret decoder ring, uh, super secret decoder ring mailed to me. So he gets it in the mail and he goes to listen to the program because they're going to give him an encrypted message. And uh, anyone know this scene? And, and he's listening to the message and writing it down, and then he's using the ring and decoding it and encrypting it because he wants to know, like, how he can work for this as a spy for this. Like, you know, when you're a kid, it's, like, so real, you know? And he's just in it. He's in the moment. He's so like, I can't. What's the secret message? And then he finally gets it all encoded, and he reads it out loud to himself, and he says, be sure to drink your Ovaltine. <laughs> it's just the advertisement. And I think he actually curses at that point. But you just see him on the screen. He like just becomes a little bit more of an adult, a little bit less of a child. He's, he's a little less naive and a little bit more jaded. Like it all happens in that moment, and it kind of like breaks your heart a little bit, but you also know what's going on. <laughs> because here's the thing. Like I was saying earlier, there's a reason under-promise and over-deliver is a phrase, because we live in a world where the opposite is true. We live in a world that overpromises and underdelivers. Every one of us has bought some kind of product that we thought was going to change our life, and then it broke like after using it three times. <laughs> but overpromising and underdelivering is exactly what sin does. That's what sin does. Sin. Living life on your own terms, seeking happiness on your own terms, living to please yourself and not God. Sin never gives you what it promises it will give you. And in the end, it ultimately takes from you. It takes from your soul. It takes from your happiness. It takes from your experience of God in your life. Sin always overpromises, whether it's a relationship that you believe is going to save you, or whether it's a sexual experience that you believe is what you're longing for, or whether it's a, a business achievement that once I get that, everything will be set, or whether it's a possession, once I own a home, then I can relax. Whatever it is, it, if you're looking for that and seeking fulfillment in that other than God, it's always going to overpromise and underdeliver. And, and yet we still find ourselves chasing it all the way to the end passionately and then reading a message, be sure to drink your Ovaltine. <laughs> it's just an advertisement to buy something else, to get the next thing. That's what sin does. Keep chasing Keep buying, keep pursuing, but never finding it. And yet God is the only one who always underpromises and overdelivers. He underpromises because we can't even fathom his promises. We, he, he's revealed it to us in his word, but his word says, eye has not seen and ear has not heard. <laughs> the glory that shall be revealed. God always under-promises because we can't even understand it, but he over-delivers. My last point, this guarantee has to do with this word that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The study note in my Bible says this, the Greek word for guarantee can also be used to indicate an engagement ring. As Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride, so the Holy Spirit is the down payment, the earnest money in the long-awaited marriage of the two. When you believe the gospel, verse 13 says, when you receive this message of truth, you receive the Holy Spirit. We believe as Christians that God himself takes up residence in you. And scripture here is comparing that to an engagement ring. I got to ask you, is a groom who gets down on one knee and gives, some, gives his uh, bride a ring, is he likely to forget their wedding date? Christy, I want to ask you, do you think Nick is likely to forget your wedding date this Friday? No. <laughs> No, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a symbol of the investment that's going to come. I'm investing into this relationship. I'm not going to forget. I'm not going to give you an engagement ring and then forget to get married. 
It's not going to slip my mind. No, the engagement ring is just a small portion of the marriage, which is we're going to invest everything. It's like a down payment. Let me ask you, if you saved up for a down payment in San Diego prices and you pay the down payment, are you going to forget to pick up the keys later and move in? Anyone? No. Why? Because it's a symbol. I've already started paying for it. I'm going to move in. It's what has happened right now in small form is going to happen in fullness. And I won't forget. It's just a deposit. That's what the scripture is saying God has done with us when he gives us the Holy Spirit to seal us, to be a deposit in our hearts that the Holy Spirit who, who lives in us seals us and guarantees that the longings he has awakened in our heart will be fulfilled. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us even desire to live for God and to live with God. And that's the Holy Spirit that guarantees that God will remember and will fulfill every promise that he has made beyond our ability to even understand right now. And if you're here today and you want that guarantee, it's not something that you can earn. It's not something, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing that you can purchase. It's freely given to you today, and it's only in Christ. Only in Christ. I don't know if you've heard me say that passage today, but I've been saying it a lot. I've been saying in Christ, in him, in Christ. And you know why? Because in the passage that we read in those 12 verses, that phrase is repeated 11 times. It is the theme of this passage. Everything that we have is in Christ, and it's only when we identify with him. Because right now, we're in, apart from him, we're in sin. We're living for ourselves. We're living for our own notions. We're chasing our own version of happiness, but it's only when we identify with Christ that he died, so I died of my sin. He was buried, so I get buried to my old way of living, and he rose again, so I have new life. I have redemption in his blood. If you're tired of living in sin and living for yourself and finding that at the end of the rope is just still another rope and you want fulfillment, it's in Christ. You can have it today. You can have it today. You can have access to all that I've been talking about, all we've been talking about, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And I talked about earlier on, everything's awesome and nobody's happy. And you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's funny. It makes us laugh, but I also think it, it kind of tells us a little bit of good news because it kind of just says, you know, cheer up. Things could be worse. But it's only part of the good news. It's not even actually good news. <laughs> cheer up. Compare yourself to others. Things could be worse. <laughs> That's not the good news. The good news is cheer up. It couldn't be you're, you've been adopted by the king of the universe. You've been redeemed by his blood. You've been lavished on with grace. You've been empowered with a purpose. You've been marked with a seal. You've been guaranteed with an inheritance. A future final redemption. And when we see that, the more we see that, church, the only proper response is worship. The only proper response is Praise be to God. He has blessed us so much. Doesn't matter what I'm going through right now, I can still remember how God has blessed me. Doesn't matter what I find myself in right now, I can still remember that God has a purpose for right now and he will wrap it all together. Amen? When we grasp that, we'll, we'll have lives that overflow with blessing like a 202-word sentence. <laughs> you thought we were done, but we just keep on going about what God has done for us. Our eyes will be lifted from just our own problems and our own circumstances because we have been blessed by God enough to live like a blessing to other people around us. Amen? Let's pray.
God, you alone are worthy of all worship, honor, and praise. I stand here humbly as one who so often has sinned against you, as one who has downplayed and even rejected your blessings, God. I've looked at your blessings and I've looked up and said, what else do you have? God, I'm so guilty of that and and I believe that many of my brothers and sisters here feel that guilt, Lord. But I thank you, God. I thank you so much that every time that I've done that, every time that we've done that, every time we've made little of your love, God, you died for us, Jesus, on the cross. You gave your life for the very ones who were taking your life. On the cross, you said, forgive them for they don't know what they do, Lord. As we look at the cross, let us remember that you've paid the penalty for our sin. You've paid the purchase price to redeem us out of slavery. God, that though we were not a people, we've been adopted. We've been made sons and daughters with full legal standing. We've been called the people of God. All because of you. Not something that we started or even asked for, but something that you initiated and reached out for. We just thank you so much for that right now, God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister. God, that at the end of the day, it's, it's not my words or my commentary, but it's your word that speaks. And it's your spirit that ministers and moves in our hearts. And so we just invite you, Holy Spirit, into this response time. Pray that you would bless every single individual. It's under the sound of my voice. I pray that you convict us, call us to repentance, call us to turning to you, to believing on you, to receiving and making much of these blessings, God. So that we could emulate what the Apostle Paul has shown us even today, that even on our worst days, even when we're, if we found ourselves in prison, we would have so much to exclaim and exalt and thank you for and encourage others with. Even when we have nothing, we have more than everything because we have you. We invite you to move in a special way in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.